0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. We're documenting the stories of Coloradans affected by coronavirus. It claims lives and livelihoods. I am, yeah, I'm not working right now. But the longtime piano player at the Brown Palace
1: Hotel is confident he'll play again. When Denver comes back and we're over this... It's going to be strong. I think it's going to be really strong. Then, with all the talk about ventilators, perspective on why they're so critical
0: from a doctor who's on the front lines.
2: If I go to work afraid, I'll never be able to take care of a patient. But I do need to respect this virus because it is what it is.
0: Also, for parents who became homeschoolers overnight, the importance of structure and
3: embracing memories. Even the family photo albums, it's reconnecting you with past joyful moments. This is Colorado
0: Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're going to begin with a long tradition that's been silenced because of coronavirus. Walk into one of the state's oldest hotels, the Brown Palace in Denver, and it often sounds like this...
1: piano keys, this man. John A. Kite, and I've been at the Brown Palace Hotel for 33 years. I have the best job ever. I get to play in that incredible Brown Palace lobby five days a week. It doesn't get any better than that. And then I get to go into the Ship Tavern, and I play in there late night.
0: But John's longtime contract gig is over for at
1: least eight weeks with bars and dining rooms closed. I think closing the bars and restaurants in Denver, per our mayor, is it's the only way that this virus thing is going to level out. And whether or not the eight weeks that he proposed is pushed up or pushed back, I am, yeah, I'm not working. Right now. The ironic part about this, Ryan, is that the Ship Tavern, which opened, what is it, 83 years ago now, it has never closed. This is the first time in its history that it Uh closed. And with the closure, a halt on group singing, a tradition in the tavern. People come in, we don't have microphones, and they practice their songs and they practice their lyrics and they stand up and belt them out. And there are people that come in to hear them. And then there are the people who have no idea what's happening. And I oftentimes get people come up and say, Now, are you guys professionals? What do you do? I would... So it's a fun vibe in there. It really is. The blooms, a fox in the brush, the in the the song of a thrush.
0: It's an emotional time for you.
1: Yeah. It is for all of us. It is for all of us. I think part of it is the uncertainty. And part of it is, oh, my gosh, we work with great people. We see them every day. And it's going to be eight weeks since we see them again, you know, or if we happen to see each other. But these are people that we talk to. These are people that we share stuff with. These are the people we laugh with. These are the people we cry with. These are the people we go out with and socialize with. For many of us, we spend more time with these people than we do our families, you know. So it's time away from them. John Kite, longtime Brown Palace
0: piano player, isn't sure what he'll do with these eight weeks. He's had a week's vacation planned already, so he'll fold that in. And he'll try to steer clear of despair.
1: I think that when Denver comes back and we're over this, it's going to be good. It's going to be strong. I think it's going to be really strong. I think... um, The Brown Palace, you know, it has survived for, what, 128 years? We'll make it. And when they do, what are they most likely to request from him? No one would ever suspect that my most requested song is Moon River. Oh! I know, everyone would think it's The Piano Man. Yeah, Uh, you know, Billy Joel stuff, Elton John stuff. And those songs are often requested, but none more than that little Henry Mancini gem called Moon River.
0: Just one Coloradan story in the face of COVID 19. Share yours. Send us a voice memo to news at CPR.org. That's news at CPR.org. It's a word virtually no one Googled until the first week of March ventilator. Now, one of the driving questions is are there enough of them? The short answer is probably not. But we have a more fundamental question. What exactly is a ventilator? And when might you need one? So I called up pulmonologist Dr. Ken Lin Q of National Jewish Health in Denver. Doctor, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Before we talk about ventilators specifically, I want to know how you're doing and what you're seeing now at the hospital.
2: Right now, we're pretty busy. What we're seeing is a lot of patients who come in who Meet criteria for possible COVID-19 disease. With the backlog of testing, a lot of these patients are stuck in isolation, waiting for their test results, so that we can protect everybody if they are positive. And that's just, you know, filling up the hospital a little bit more than we normally would be.
0: How are you doing?
2: Me, I'm a little tired. You know, we're doing a lot to make sure we have plans. In case we see surges that we hopefully won't see, but we don't want to stick our head in the sand, say they're not coming, and then not be prepared for them when they come. So making sure all of our disaster management plans have been reviewed and re-reviewed and re-re-reviewed. I'm a big fan of the military strategist von Klauswitz, who said, no plan survives first contact with the enemy.
0: Are you afraid of contracting it?
2: Am I afraid? I won't say afraid, I will say concerned. The reason I make that distinction is I think as a healthcare worker, there's a very good chance I will contract it. And we know that 80% of people do fine with it. Given that I'm not as young as I used to be, but I'm not that old, I should do okay if I contract it, but that's not a guarantee. Hmm. If I go to work afraid, I'll never be able to take care of a patient. But I do need to respect this virus because it, it is what it is.
0: Are you seeing most of the patients coming into National Jewish from those higher risk categories, patients with underlying conditions who are older?
2: I'm surprised as we look at the numbers, not just coming into National Jewish, but from what we see coming around the United States, is we see a little bit more of a mix of patients coming in So I think some of our social distancing is a little better heeded by our older population and our sicker population because they already have to do that for things like influenza. And so I think we're seeing a little bit more of a mix. But I don't have the numbers statistically from what's coming into National Jewish, what's coming into National Jewish St. Joseph's Hospital specifically to say that X percent is each age group.
0: Well, I think it's really important, the message that you're sending essentially to young people who may feel invincible, that hospitals and uh, a new federal report are starting to show that that invincibility is is not true. Okay, to this idea of ventilators, we've heard so much about them. I understand there are actually different types of ventilators, but in general, how do they work?
2: Yes, yeah, so ventilators are and specifically positive pressure ventilators are machines that push air into the body. And when we breathe, taking a breath in is the active part. So the machine does that part. And then we breathe out, it's passive. So the diaphragm relaxes our breathing muscle, and the lungs naturally recoil like springs, and they breathe out. So the ventilator does the diaphragm's work, and it pushes the air in. A lot of people might have read about iron lungs in old textbooks in school, and those were negative pressure ventilators, and they actually pulled on the outside of the chest to expand the chest to have air then rush in. With a modern ventilator, it pushes the air in.
0: Are they only for patients with the most advanced disease? At what point do you bring in a ventilator?
2: Yeah, so they are for the people with the most advanced disease, Um, A little caveat to that is a lot of people are familiar with ventilators and don't know it because a lot of people have sleep apnea and the CPAP machines that people use for sleep apnea are technically ventilators. Hmm. It doesn't have all the technology we use in critical care. The ones we use in critical care are for the sickest patients. It allows us to control how fast the patient breathes, how big of a breath they get, how um, long they get that breath going in versus going out, how much oxygen is in there, and the pressure that remains after you breathe out in the lung.
0: Are they a healing device, or are they a device that stabilizes the patient so that other interventions can heal them?
2: They are a supportive device, right? And that's a very good question. So, for example, with COVID nineteen. It would be some of these experimental drugs that we might enroll somebody in a trial with. It might be that they have COVID-19 and then get a bacterial pneumonia on top of it. It would allow us time to give antibiotics to treat the bacterial pneumonia. So it is a support device, not a healing device.
0: Does a ventilator require that there be a tube down my throat?
2: The types of ventilators we're talking about do, yes. Do
0: Okay. Is that really uncomfortable? Have you ever had it done to yourself?
2: I have only had it done to myself once, and it was during my Achilles surgery, so I don't remember it because I was under general anesthesia. But it can be very uncomfortable for patients. Our gag reflex, and I think everybody can has gagged at least once in their life and knows how uncomfortable it is. So we give people medicines to try to keep them a little more comfortable because of that when they're on a ventilator. But we don't want to give them too much because that can actually affect their ability to participate in therapy and stay strong while they're critically ill.
0: Do you feel that National Jewish has enough of them?
2: If we do our good job with social distancing and we can truly flatten the curve, we believe that we will have enough of them. And this is why, you know, when we see a lot of young people congregating at the dog park and hanging out, And this is simply a mathematical equation, and it's how many patients get severe disease and need an ICU versus how many ICU beds are available.
0: Beyond the ventilator itself, I I have to imagine there are people who do the work to set them up and to operate them. Is there a specialist that has to be involved in that, and is, is that a concern too? the operators of these?
2: Yeah, so... Usually, a critical care doctor, emergency physician, or an anesthesiologist will put the breathing tube in. In our ICUs and emergency departments, once we have them on, we have a professional, and it's their own field, called a respiratory therapist, who is trained in lung physiology, the medical management of these patients, and they're the ones that are adjusting the ventilator, giving them medications through the ventilator circuit. The same way we take inhalers at home, we can give inhaled medications through a uh, mechanical ventilator.
0: And yet again, someone there could be a shortage of.
2: Absolutely.
0: Doctor, I'll let you get back. One quick question. On Thursday, the president talked about existing drugs that might be helpful, and he named remdesivir and chloroquine. Chloroquine uh, being quite an old medication, I guess, linked to malaria. Do you know those drugs? Have you used them already? Do you have hope in them?
2: So I do have some hope in some of these drugs, Ryan. Um, remdesivir is a drug that is currently undergoing phase three clinical trials right now. It's a drug that its maker created in response to some of these other previous coronavirus outbreaks, such as SARS and MERS. That one looks very um, hopeful in the data that is emerging out of um, Asia. Chloroquine and its more potent cousin, hydrochloroquine, are, have also shown some promise, but not inside of a clinical trial. And so I think getting good data and not anecdotal data for some of these drugs is important. There's also some trials going on around some other drugs that modulate the immune response that might help with this as well, that are also in clinical trials and in one off conversations seem to be very beneficial. But again, until we have enough trial data, we're not, we not—we can't say that these drugs will absolutely work. Um, we thought that Calitra, which is an HIV medication, would do a, just as good a job. And yesterday it was published and it showed no benefit in a trial that was done in China. So until we have good data, we can be hopeful, but we have to have um, patience and wait for good data to, before we make decisions with these drugs.
0: I'm really grateful for your time. I know it's especially precious right now. Thank
2: you. You're welcome, Ryan.
0: Dr. Ken Lin-Q is a pulmonologist at National Jewish Health in Denver. Coronavirus reveals how strong people's desire is to help. How to help was the major thrust of a press conference earlier this week from Colorado's governor.
3: In addition to the need for funding of volunteers, we have a need for blood donations. There were a number of blood drives that were canceled because of the social distancing, but there are still safe protocols for giving blood. People can go in and have a time and do that. And blood banks have reported a sharp drop in donations at a time when we are likely to need more blood.
0: The thing is, Governor Jared Polis can't give blood himself. As a gay man, he falls into a category known as men who have sex with men. The FDA says people in this category can only donate if it's been a year since they've had sex with another man. The rule replaced what was essentially an outright ban. But what's on the books now is controversial. The FDA says it's to protect the blood supply. So I asked Governor Polis, what's it like to plead for blood donations and not be able to heed the call yourself? Here's the statement he sent. I am very disappointed that I can't give blood simply because I'm gay. I'm in a loving relationship of 17 years, and my blood is as good as anyone else's. It's past time for this unscientific and discriminatory law that does nothing to improve public health to end. As we mobilize our robust relief effort to help all Coloradans overcome the impacts of this pandemic, we need help from all people, no matter whether they are gay or straight. And any law that gets in the way of that threatens the public health, end quote. Add hairstylists, massage therapists, manicurists, and tattoo artists to the growing list of people whose work is impacted by coronavirus. The governor has banned those services for the time being. It adds to what's already been an unprecedented number of unemployment claims filed this week in Colorado. CPR public affairs reporter Andrew Kenney is tracking this. Andy, thanks for being with us.
4: Thanks for having me. What
0: can we say is the impact of coronavirus
4: on workers in Colorado? It's really been staggering already. Look, on a typical day in Colorado, in, in better months, you might only see 400, 300 people a day. Going and applying for unemployment claims, saying, I'm out of work and I need help. This week we saw 10,000 people in a single day. And that's a 20 fold increase. It's just incredible. I've talked to dozens of people who are trying to work their way through the unemployment system right now who are struggling with it, and they're coming from all across the state. This is in some ways worse than the worst days of the recession. Because the pain has been really concentrated from ski resorts closing, restaurants closing, essentially on the same week, instead of having the pain spread out, as you might have seen in 2007 or 2008. We've never had demand quite like this. Over the Great Recession. Is this state prepared for this onslaught? Not really. I mean, nobody saw this coming at this scale, uh, at least, you know, a couple weeks ago. And already the state's unemployment website, which is the only way to really apply for unemployment benefits, is crashed. People are telling me that they're trying for hours, for days to get their claims through. And it's just not working for most people. They're having to uh, they're having to just keep on pushing repeat. They're waking up at three in the morning at midnight to try to get through when the system's good. And the state is is saying, just keep trying. We are doing our best to get this thing online, but we've again never dealt with a surge of demand like this.
0: I imagine a lot of the claims are filed by restaurant employees. Who else is in this group?
4: Well, we've heard from people who work for entertainment and music venues that have been shut down, you know, like music halls. There's people in the tourism industry. There's people adjacent to sports industry, adjacent to education. People adjacent to offices that have been shut down, for example, people who might normally be cleaning a a commercial building right now, they could be out of work for weeks or months because there's simply nobody going into that office.
0: Let's take a step back. What does it mean to file for unemployment?
4: Unemployment is a safety net insurance program. And the idea is that when you lose work through no fault of your own, as they put it, you are able to go and file a claim and they will replace just about 55% of your typical wages for a period of usually up to 26 weeks. Uh, But as a lot of people are starting to learn now, there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of exemptions. Exemptions? Like what? Well, for the one that, that really surprised me was that churches and houses of worship don't have to pay the premiums into this unemployment program. And so if you are laid off by a church, you are not eligible for Uh, unemployment benefits the same goes for independent contractors or gig workers people who for example might work for uber but can no longer work due to an illness Mm. we hear from so many special cases that illustrated how difficult this program can be substitute teachers you may or may not qualify depending on how many hours you work your school district uh if you're a sole proprietor of a business chances are unless you are paying into the program which you don't necessarily have to you're not going to qualify It's super complicated. People are just distressed and confused. The best advice I've heard from employment attorneys is to apply and see what happens.
0: No harm in applying. In other words, if you think you're eligible.
4: That's right. You have a right to apply.
0: What about people who are forced to stay at home because they are sick?
4: That's one of the biggest questions right now. So if you're lucky, you get paid leave. Your employer says you can just stay home. But if you are home on unpaid leave... Despite the fact that you are stuck at home through no fault of your own, not getting paid because you have this vulnerability to coronavirus, you're out of luck. Unemployment is not going to help you. They're rushing to try to change that. Federal regulators, lawmakers, state regulators, they're looking for a way to extend uh, unemployment coverage potentially to pick up some of those different cases. But we will see when that happens.
0: Andy, what does it look like if I qualify and I get
4: through? What, What is the... The result of that. Well, get ready to wait. Just like everybody else right now, you're going to be sitting there. It could be four to six weeks typically for a benefit to kick in from application to uh, receiving that debit card or receiving the, the direct bank deposit. So that's longer than the month my rent might be due. That's right. And... You have to imagine now with thousands and thousands of applications coming in per day, typically the unemployment office has to go and manually check with your employer, verify the information, make sure that your wages are what you said they were. And that could take, it seems like a very long time with this extreme volume. They are saying they're working on ways to handle things much quicker and perhaps that they could find ways to speed it up and put a little more emphasis on getting benefits out rather than preventing fraud.
0: Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. CPR's Andy Kenny, and Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour with why an adventure mindset might help you get through these uncertain times. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News.
3: Count on CPR News to keep you up to date about the coronavirus in Colorado. At CPR.org, you'll find the latest news and live updates on closures, testing, cases, and more. Live streams of press conferences from local, state, and federal officials, and stories from the CPR newsroom and our colleagues at KRCC in Colorado Springs and other sources. Find what you
0: need to know today about the coronavirus in Colorado, continuously updated at CPR.org. If you've suddenly become a stay-at-home parent because of coronavirus— There's even less of a break from eye-rolling teenagers now, or rowdy little ones. Take Alyssa Soden of Denver. She's doing the best she can to homeschool her 7- and 9-year-olds, but it's a challenge.
1: So this is the third time I've attempted to record this because there have been screaming kids in the background (laughs) the last two or three times. My husband is still going into work every day and works very long days, so the three of us at home are still settling into what we now know is our new normal. The days feel long and hard and very confining. We have attempted to put together somewhat of a daily schedule, but to be totally honest, it has been almost impossible to stick to it.
0: Some advice today from Denver social worker, Craig Nippenberg, who counsels children and families. And Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. One of your main recommendations is structure. Actually sitting down with your kids and mapping out how the day will flow. I am trying not to picture this.
3: As I sound your signals, you will step forward and give your name. You for all, I will listen carefully. Learn their signals so that you can call them when you want them. Lisa. Friedrich.
0: That's a Von Trapp picture of structure. What is your picture of structure? Well,
3: I actually got one from a buddy of mine on Instagram yesterday. His daughter designed this. He has a middle schooler and a high schooler. And it's colorfully decorated with flowers and, and their their van with their surfboards. And it starts with 9 a.m. Everyone in the kitchen eat breakfast, 9, 20, 10, 30 free time, followed by family workout, Lunch, reading, family yoga, dog time, and it goes right till bedtime.
0: Not quite a syllabus for the day,
3: but uh, why is that important? Well, structure is something humans basically do better with. And adults, we love to have structured lives and know and we can count on things. We know what we're doing, what's coming up next. Kids need it. And every school teacher knows that. You go into any school classroom in the country and you see a list of here's today's activities. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what the marching orders, what they're doing, when they're doing it.
0: It, of course, is a time where a lot of structures have been decimated
3: yes um kids may push back on structure though i mean any teacher will tell you that they do But they also need it and and like it. There will be some kids who may push a little bit more on that. So there's going to be some flexibility needed in terms of consistently applying your structure. I normally talk to parents. If you can hit 80 percent consistency, you're doing just fine. That's during normal life. Don't let the the perfect be the enemy of the good. No, you you can't go for 100 percent. During this time right now, this is kind of survival parenting and i'm thinking you know if you do it 65% of the time that's great if you have preschoolers you're just looking for 51% hmm. you you can't do it be kind to yourself you and forgiving everybody in the family has to be forgiving of course parents themselves may be
0: struggling with new structures if they're working from home yes
3: or if they
0: are in the unenviable position of not working right now having lost right. a job yes and creating in a way structure for themselves too how important is it for there to be pressure relief valves built into the structure.
3: That's an important part of the the structure I'm recommending is for kids to have some of their own entertain yourself time so that mom or dad can have a break to do some self-reflection get online to look for things, to connect with other people. Maybe it's a job search, working out. Parents need to have a break from the children. Does that mean that if I'm a parent who is pretty strict
0: about screen time, I might want to loosen that for this you, moment? You're
3: probably going to have to. Maybe even just for your own need to have some sanity. I kind of like weekday rules for screen time and then weekend rules. I would probably switch to your weekend rules, allowing mm-hmm. more. The key is to not let them play too long because dopamine levels go up higher and higher the longer they play or watching screens. And then they get really moody when they're off. Uh, So you're going to pay for it after they're done. So I recommend sort of 45 minute blocks. You might have two or three times a day after they've done their reading or some school assignments or done their chores, they could have that 45 minute block of time. That's fascinating. So recess increases dopamine levels. Uh, play activity increases dopamine levels into a, about four times into what we call sort of the sweet spot or just slight hyperfocus where kids are just joyful. Sort of like the sound of music twirling around outside. and <laughs> They're just zoned in. Uh, with electronics, they really kick your dopamine levels up much higher. And if you go past 30 minutes or so, uh, it puts in, your brain into a, more of an extreme hyperfocus Interesting. state. It strikes me that this
0: doesn't just have to be about lessons,
3: but about chores, too. Right. My friend's poster had that at the end of the day, clean the house from 9 to 9.30. He's a single dad, so you can see why that's last. But it does help kids to feel like they're doing something, helping a neighbor – You know, even drawing pictures. Uh, My daughter is doing our shopping, so she rides her bike up to King Supers. She's our designated person for us and also for our elderly neighbor next door. She's going to be doing that. And so kids getting involved, expressing their empathy through action is really critical for emotional health. She's your toilet paper hunter. Is that what I (laughs) mean? Yes, paper towels. We got plenty of It's the paper towels.
0: (laughs) Okay, so the importance of outdoors right now— we are balancing that with social distancing of course right i can imagine as a parent wanting to get my kid outside but also being fearful that if i did that and they were unsupervised right you know could they have an interaction that exposed them
3: yeah and that's going to depend on the ages of the children for any family member has tested positive then they really cannot be outside yeah or they have to be in their fenced yard But kids do need some time outside to be on the swings, to be running around. The issue you run into, you know, if you have the luxury of a a backyard fenced in, that's great. If they're out front of the house on the street, they are going to run into other kids. Now, I can take my dogs for a walk and I can keep my distance and nod at my neighbor's kids' instinct is to touch each other, to hug, to roughhouse, to give high fives, that will be a very difficult impulse to restrain. For mm-hmm. your, so you have to be aware that even if you're out with them, if they're at the park, they see other kids, they're probably going to be closer than the six-foot uh, gap. Now, the other issue that I think should be very stressful for uh, parents of teenagers and college kids who are home is the college kids and the teenagers are going to want to be with their friends. The governor just talked about, you know, no more than 10, say, at somebody's house in the basement or something. But you've got kids coming from all over the country. They don't know if they've got it or not. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to socialize. That is going to be a major headache for parents to try to monitor those students. You're
0: listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're getting some advice. Some input from Craig Nippenberg. He's a Denver licensed social worker who counsels families and children. Uh, Advice for families who find themselves in a very different predicament uh, with the pandemic. Sleep schedules. I think back to when I was a teen, Craig, and I envy... My younger self who could sleep until 10 and 11, you know, when I am naturally waking up at 7. I know that is not a young person's impulse to wake up early. Should we be thinking
3: about consistent sleep schedule? You should. And it will will vary depending on age. So, you know, the first couple nights of this whole thing, people are probably staying up later, letting the kids sleep in. But I would get them back to their regular schedule for elementary students. Middle school students can let them stay up a little bit longer. Your younger children, preschoolers, need the same sleep schedule. Now, for the teen brain, their their sleep cycles change a bit. And, you know, schools are starting later now for teenagers. So allowing your teen to stay up a little later and sleep in. That's fine, but I'd sort of have a, okay, we need to be up by this time or lights out by this time. Uh, the most important thing is not letting the teens have their social media and electronics before bed. Uh, and, and, and I would take them at night. They're going to be on them all night. And then the sleep is destroyed. Yeah, that So sleep, you're going to have to light, monitor that. The light hyper vigilance, the hypervigilance. And every time it dings, your dopamine levels spike, your emotions go up.
0: Oh, that uh, culprit dopamine again.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, this
0: makes me think about news consumption in general. Yeah. Uh, and I know that this would vary based on a child's age, but what do you recommend for
3: exposure to the news, which is pretty bleak right now? It, it is pretty bleak. And I would, uh, for parents, for their own mental health, don't check it all the time. I try to restrict myself. I, l- I like to look at the news on the phone and I'll, I'll check that first thing in the morning and then maybe in the afternoon. But if you have it on all the time and especially where your kids can hear it, I would not recommend that. I would, I would really limit doses of it. Interesting. Be mindful of how your own consumption affects your children. Yes.
0: I have made it my commitment not to look at coronavirus headlines immediately before I go to sleep. Uh-huh. It just That's my new rule. I'm sharing it where I can. That's great. I appreciated this suggestion. Uh, This was in an article that we posted at CPR.org. You think watching old family videos can be good for mental health.
3: How so? It's wonderful, and for all ages, and even the family photo albums, it's reconnecting you with past joyful moments. And even college kids loved it. My son, when he was in college, he'd come home, and he'd he'd get some videos, and he'd he'd copy them for me and look through photos and organize them, and it just connects you with happier times. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. I
0: was just yesterday looking at a photo of my father and I on vacation, at once feeling how far away that is now, yeah. um, and also the the joy that there was that time. What emotions are you hearing kids process right now?
3: Yeah, it, at first it was a lot of anxiety. So I consulted St. Anne's Episcopal School, and we actually evacuated a week and a half ago or so. There was a great deal of anxiety with that. And there was to, a positive case there. There was, yes. Yes. Um, And the school was closed for three and a half days, cleaned thoroughly. As I talked to the kids who were feeling anxious, I said, you know, we're trying to wash our hands and we're just going to give the school a good hand washing. (laughs) It's going to be fine. And when the kids came back, we had at school for a day and a half last week, they were pretty well. They were ready to get back to business. I think as time goes on, what we're seeing now more that I'm hearing from clients at my office Uh, we're doing teletherapy, Mm. Um, there's a lot of sadness and loss about things they're missing out on. And graduations, prom, One little eight-year-old missing his first spring break ever to go see the Rockies and was just crushed. And another little boy, six-year-old, was just so devastated that his grandma couldn't come over. Mm. So there's a lot of sense of grief and loss. And as this continues, you're going to see higher rates of just irritability that you can only handle so much togetherness before you get on each other's nerves. And if there is a stay in place order, that's obviously gonna increase some of that.
0: You say that we should have an adventure mindset at this time. I love that idea. I don't know if it's because it gamifies something that otherwise is
3: pretty bleak. What do you mean? It's the idea that when you're, especially with your kids, that every moment's important, good times and bad. And no matter what life throws at you, you do something with it to connect with your kids or find something new or creative and just appreciate where you're going. And we don't know where this is taking us, but who knows what parent and their kids are going to discover something new tomorrow or the next day or the next week. That's an adventure mindset. Craig, this has been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
0: Craig Nippenberg of Denver is a licensed social worker who counsels families and children. He's the author of Wired and Connected Brain-Based Solutions to Ensure Your Child's Social and Emotional Success. At CPR.org, there's an article with ideas for talking to your kids about coronavirus and keeping them busy as we all try to avoid catching it. And that's Colorado Matters for today. Our executive producer is Carl Bielek, and our producers are Andrea Dukakis, Michelle P. Fulcher, Avery Lill, and Alexandra McMahon. I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News.